Some of you know that the first church I served as pastor was in Pickens, South Carolina, from 1988 to 1997, nine wonderful years. Ginger and I lived in the upstate of South Carolina and continued to love the people of that church and of that region. Our children had their formative years there. The congregation of the Pickens Presbyterian Church um, nourished us, shared their faith with us, and taught us a great deal about life and faith and discipleship and ministry. There's something else about Pickens. Pickens is infamous as the location of one of the last known lynchings in our country. A black man named Willie Earl was suspected of killing a white taxi cab driver. He was arrested. He was placed in the Pickens County Jail in February 1947, 70 years ago. But a mob of white taxi drivers came over from Greenville County, the next county, dragged him out of the jail, took him to a secluded spot, and killed him. Now, you might be thinking, why in the world is the preacher talking about this today? A lynching in 1947 in Pickens, South Carolina. Well, this very year, 2017, famous preacher and our friend, Will Willimon, who preached for us in 2015, a former Methodist bishop and dean of Duke Chapel has a new book out just this year. And the book is entitled, Who Lynched Willie Earl? Our faith and literature class just recently read a, a short story about this horrific incident. Obviously, my connection to Will Willimon and my connection to Pickens inspired me to get this book. I was certainly familiar with the lynching that took place 70 years ago in 1947. So many of the names and places in Willimon's new book are also very familiar to me. And though it happened 70 years ago, so much about this story and so much about this incident continues to play out in our own lives these days and in our culture. The subtitle of the book is Preaching to Confront Racism. We continue to struggle with racism in our lives and culture. Racial tension is everywhere. Every week, there seems to be another story of a race-related killing. Even Major League Baseball is struggling with racism this week. Um, There are deep racial issues that haunt us in Richmond. And we, as people of faith... We as Easter people um, are called to work on this divisive and destructive issue that touches really all aspects of our lives. What I did not know, and the first part of Willimon's recent book, is what happened at Grace United Methodist Church in Pickens on the Sunday following the lynching of Willie Earl in 1947. 
the Reverend Holly Lynn, a preacher in his early 30s, in an era of legislated and enforced white supremacy and to his all-white congregation, Holly Lynn, the preacher, was brave enough to preach a sermon entitled, Who Lynched Willie Earl? Even though the lynching was done, everyone knew by a mob of taxi drivers who came over from the adjoining county, Lynn's point in the sermon was that the lynching began in a society, in a society that promoted inequality. Lynn's point in the sermon is that the lynching started in a culture that had different standards for different people. The lynching happened, he said, because certain rules applied to certain people and most of Willie Earl's life he had experienced, as Holly put it in the sermon, the white man's boot standing on his neck. That preacher suggested in that sermon that when you have a society that allows and even promotes degradation of people based on color, you're already participating in the lynching. Lynn concluded his sermon with the familiar words of John Greenleaf Whittier's famous hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, forgive our foolish ways, reclothe us, in our rightful mind, in purer lives, thy service find in deeper reverence, praise. As Willimon says, the most remarkable thing about Harley, Holly Lynn's sermon is that it was actually preached. Unlike most South Carolina pastors and other pastors in the midst of other trying times, Holly wasn't silent. On the first Sunday following the lynching in his town, Holly Lynn preached a sermon to confront racism. In these days, in these times in our country, large numbers of whites, perhaps many of us, believe that racism is something that we've already overcome. But we have to pay attention. We have to keep our eyes open. Education, especially in our Richmond City schools. Wealth. Social disparity. Social mobility. Infant mortality. Incarceration, as we learned from some of our brothers in Sunday school class last week. All these issues remind us that we're a long way from overcoming racism. The median white household income is 13 times higher than the black median household income. In fact, and we know this, racial disparity operates in every area of our common life. There's also the underlying sense that to be an American is to be white Obama is the only president who had to prove he was an American. Cornell West said that in the attacks on 9-11, all Americans finally got a taste of what it is to be black. 
hated for who they were, subject to violence and suffering based on who you were. And in recent days, we continued with far too many signs of alienation, alienation from God, alienation from one another. Our city is held captive by this racist history. Our news reports seemingly include more acts of racial violence, white police officers shooting black victims again this week, like the number of hate groups rising, all this evidence that we have a long way to go in addressing this issue in our culture. Willimon's recent book reminds us that race is human fiction. It's a human construct. But racism is a fact. A fact. A powerful fact, a force in our lives and our culture. And we cannot really say, as we are prone to say, I'm not racist. Racism is so much a part of our lives that we often cannot and do not see it. Another prophet and writer, Jim Wallace, puts it most succinctly. It's time for white Christians to be more Christian than white. We have work to do. This is what God asks. This is what God expects of us. Make some decisions that are in line with discipleship. Our context for working on this tough issue on race is found in our first lesson. Fantastic and memorable words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. We heard it read. We heard it sung so beautifully. When the Lord is our shepherd, it shapes everything about our lives, or or intends to. When the Lord is our shepherd, we are secure. We are comforted. We are held. We are cared for. And it's forever. We love to hear those words, the poetic summary of the gospel. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads us to green pastures beside still waters, even through death. He never leaves us. We don't need to fear. God goes with us. His rod and his staff comfort us. We dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A wonderful promise of the gospel. Yet when the Lord is our shepherd, it means, or it intends to mean, that we live a certain way, with a certain purpose, a certain direction toward God and toward loving God and loving God's people. We are never just comforted. We are comforted so that we can understand our call to live in the world as God's people. We are never just held. We are held so that we can work for God in the world. That means our lives must run counter to our racist inclinations and temptations. God keeps calling us to everyday metanoia, conversion, transformation, to be transformed from the way we are, the way we tend to be, to how God would have us be. From the way we tend to be alienated from one another and from God and segregated and separate in our society to transformed. Life together, serving, loving, doing for God. We're called to keep 
working for the inbreaking of God's reign for everyone. Everyone. We cannot ever really say we're tired of talking about race, which might be our inclination. We have to keep striving for lives in a society where all are equal, where everyone has a real chance, where hope abounds for not just for some, but for all. We want God to reclothe us in a rightful mind, in purer lives, in service find, in deeper reverence and praise, as the hymn says. We actually get a glimpse of this and what it looks like in our second lesson today from Acts 2, also the lectionary reading for this day. You have a copy of it in the bulletin. Listen as I read it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They could and they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much life, much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. The setting of this Acts passage, chapter 2, is a few weeks following the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples were filled with a sense of the risen Jesus in their midst. The disciples were empowered by the Spirit to become a different kind of people. So the disciples had a new sense about what their life was going to look like and what church looked like and what they were called to be about in the world. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. The teaching... The teaching always reminds us that God cares about compassion and justice and hope and equality for everyone. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? Doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God doesn't leave any room for racist inclinations. Then it says, awe came upon everyone. The Greek word here for awe is phobos, which gives us the English word phobia, which relates to fear. Did fear come upon everyone following the resurrection? Did fear come upon everyone in the sense of new life as God's people in the world filled with God's spirit? Well, fear, not meaning afraid of God, not meaning dread of God, but there was present among them this powerful sense among the disciples that God is real and God is at work and God is serious about what God expects of us. So the sentiment includes fear, but maybe more a reverent attentiveness, a sense of awe, a 
faithfulness because there's more at stake here than just what we care about. There's more at stake here than just what we might want to do. What is at stake here is what God wants from us. Was it what is at stake here is what God asks of us. Racism can't be tolerated. Racism goes against God's awesome plans for us and for the world. So awe came upon them and they started living life toward God. Loving God and loving people in the world with God's love. Awe came upon them and they began to take up the work and the words of Jesus. They shared everything. They healed the sick. They gave sight to the blind. They helped the lame walk. They built community. Everyone was together and the kingdom of God begins to emerge in the world. There's an ancient story about faithful people trying to become more faithful and an inspired teacher of God, an inspired teacher of God's ways was dying and his students were worried and They gathered around him and they were hoping that he might leave them with one more word of wisdom. He had shared so much. So they gathered around and he spoke softly to the students. May you fear God as much as you fear people. And the students were perplexed. One of them said, wait, master. Maybe your illness has confused you. Surely you mean that we should fear God more than we fear people. And the wise man responded, no. No, so many people do things of which they know God disapproves. But go to great lengths to hide them from their neighbors. If only they feared God as much. We tend to live so much of life catering to the expectations of others. We're called called to live for God, to love God, and love as God loves. And I want to point out today the word that appears over and over in this passage from Acts about how these disciples lived together. Together. All who believed were together not segregated, not racist, together. And they shared everything together, not allowing the disparity to grow between some and others together. They took care of each other, making sure none had needs that were not met. They spent time in the temple together, breaking bread as we're doing today and saying prayers with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people, not polarized together, not divided by race and class together, not only caring about what's best for me and mine. Imagine that together, together. This is God's plans for us. So many people do things which they know God disapproves. If only we feared and sought 
to serve God. Friends, in these days, as we go through a time of transition with our building together, has to be the word for us. We need patience and grace and care. We're all in this together. Support each other, pray for each other as we make adjustments, move through the coming weeks and months. It will demand much from us, but we go together. And in these days, as we seek to trust God, as we live as Easter people out from these doors and in our city and in our commonwealth and in our nation and across the world, as we live as sheep of the shepherd, together is the way forward, working for the light and the hope and the peace and the possibility of all people, not tolerating racism, but together. Even as we deal with tough issues, health care, poverty, education, equality, racism, together is the way. And that's how we live as God's people. That's how we get closer and closer to the coming reign of God. May we strive always in love and faith to go together. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To commit our lives in love and service together. That is to abide forever. We commit to that way following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.